Hello Skywatchers! Thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Tanya, and we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in October in this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way, and also other galaxies, it is important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. So allow 15 minutes for our eyes to become sensitive in the dark, and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. So, the gas giants Jupiter and Saturn will dominate the evening sky throughout the month. Both are going to be easy to spot, especially Jupiter, the king of the planets, which will be shining brightly in the sky. Jupiter and Saturn are always worth a view through a pair of binoculars or through a telescope. And if you're a fan of the red planet, you'll find Mars tucked in between the horns of Taurus the Bull, rising in the east around 8.30pm. As for the inner planets, Venus is lost in the glare of the sun this month, but Mercury will put on a great display as it reaches its western elongation on October the 8th. So because the angle between the sun and Mercury will be at its greatest, this is the best time to view the planet. You need to look east at around 6.30am, so quite early, to catch a glimpse of Mercury. As the planet will be lying quite low to the horizon, you'll need an unobstructed view to see it clearly. Asterisms are easy to recognize patterns of stars with the plow or the Big Dipper, perhaps the most well-known asterism in the night sky. And hidden inside the constellation of Camelopardalis, which means giraffe in Latin, is an asterism known as Campbell's Cascade. Containing around 20 faint stars nearly in a row, Campbell's Cascade stretches over five times the width of a full moon. With a pair of binoculars or a telescope, you'll be able to see the full extent of this asterism. To locate it, start at the W-shaped constellation of Cassiopeia. Draw an imaginary line from Beta Cassiopeia, the second brightest star in the constellation, through Epsilon Cassiopeia, the fifth brightest star, and then extend this line by the same distance and you'll find the asterism. Try to spot the two orange-colored stars in this colorful stellar cascade. And under dark sky conditions, you might be able to see NGC 1502, an open star cluster lying at the end of the cascade. Keep your eyes trained on the skies on the night of the 21st and the early morning of the 22nd of October, because you'll be treated to some cosmic fireworks courtesy of the Orionids meteor shower. Halley's Comet is responsible for producing the Orionids meteor shower, with the radiant of the shower lying in the constellation of Orion which is why it's called the Orionids. As Halley's Comet follows its path around our Sun, a trail of cometary debris is left behind. As the Earth passes through this debris trail, bits of the comet collide with our atmosphere, producing fiery streaks across the sky. Under optimal viewing conditions, observers might be able to see around 25 meteors per hour. Viewing conditions will actually be good this year with relatively little moonlight, so fingers crossed for clear weather. For your best chance to spot some meteors, head to a dark sky location and aim your gaze around 45 degrees away from the constellation of Orion. Remember to wrap up warm, especially if you're going to be outside in the early hours of the morning. On October 25th, observers in the UK will be treated to a partial solar eclipse. And a solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes directly between the sun and the earth, blocking the sun's rays for a few moments. In a partial solar eclipse, only part of the sun is blocked by the moon. 
So starting at around 10.08 a.m. BST, the moon will begin to pass between the Earth and the Sun, blocking out a portion of its light. And unlike a total eclipse where day turns to night, this eclipse is only about 25% of totality, meaning only a small fraction of the moon will be covered at its fullest point around 11 a.m. What this means is that even if it's a clear day, you won't notice a large change. So no matter where you are, do not look directly at the sun. Remember, do not ever, ever, ever look directly at the sun to see this eclipse, not even with sunglasses, as you will damage your eyes. Instead, we recommend using eclipse glasses or a safe pinhole camera projection. And actually, our astronomers will also live stream the event on site from our Animonder Astrographic Telescope. So make sure to keep an eye on our website and our Twitter account for more details about how to watch the live stream. Dark skies towards the end of the month provide the perfect opportunity to have a look at some galaxies. So our own galaxy, the Milky Way, is home to between 200 and 400 billion stars and it arches across the night sky. The Milky Way is actually one member of a cluster of galaxies known as the Local Group. The two other members of this group, Andromeda Galaxy and the Triangulum Galaxy, soar high in the sky around midnight. If you're lucky, you might just be able to spot both with the unaided eye under clear and dark sky conditions. However, for the best views, grab a pair of binoculars or a telescope. The Andromeda Galaxy is actually the largest in the local group, followed by our own galaxy and the Triangulum Galaxy. The Milky Way is also on a collision course with the Andromeda Galaxy, and the two will merge in a few billion years' time to form Milkdromeda. The Triangulum Galaxy, which is suspected to be a satellite of the Andromeda Galaxy, might miss the initial cosmic collision, but then could end up merging with Milkdromeda, which would form Tri-Milk Media or Milkdromeda Triangulum, <laughs> I don't know. We'll work on a better name. For those of you who are enjoying a view of the sky from the Southern Hemisphere, look towards the east in the early hours of the morning to spot the brightest star in the sky, the star Sirius. Despite its bright appearance, it isn't even close to being the largest star in its constellation, being surrounded by hypergiants, including one of the largest stars ever discovered, V.Y. Canis Majoris. Sirius lies 8.6 light years away and has a diameter 1.7 times that of the Sun, whereas V.Y. Canis Majoris, which has a diameter of over 1,400 times that of the Sun, lies over 4,000 light years away, and so appears much fainter in the sky despite it being intrinsically brighter than Sirius. There are also a number of open clusters for you to enjoy, including Caroline's Cluster, NGC 2360, named after Caroline Herschel, the first woman in England to receive a salary as a scientist. If you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You might also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website, which is at rmg.co.uk, and remember our solar eclipse live stream later on this month, but for now, it's time for our cosmic news. So, now it's time for the cosmic news part of our podcast, and joining us this month we have Tanya. Hi Tanya! Hi Jess! Thank you so much for being here. Now, if you weren't aware, last month we had Greg joining us for mm. the first time in quite a while, a few years since he'd been on the podcast, and this will be your first time. It's my first ever time doing this podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, well, welcome. And just to recap, last month we spoke about the concept of liquid mirror telescopes, 
and a new one that had just opened in the Himalayas, and we spoke about the progress of the Artemis One mission. The Artemis One mission onto the moon. And Greg did tell us all, but that by the end of the month, by the time the podcast was live, hopefully it would be on its way to the moon. Sadly, as you might be aware, that launch has been pushed back and back mm -hmm. and back. Mm -hmm. And now back even further, because there's a tropical storm mm -hmm. that might become a hurricane. So they've even rolled that rocket back into like some kind of shed for safekeeping. So it's not even <laughs> on the launch pad anymore. Um, but despite the fact is that his prediction wasn't accurate, I can reveal that Greg won the Twitter poll. Oh. Yeah, so that's fine. <laughs> so one point to Greg, that was your favourite news story for last month. But we have some new news stories for mm -hmm. you this month. And shall we start with you, Tanya? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. <laughs> Very welcome. <laughs> well, uh, I think we have to talk about the DART mission. So the DART mission is uh, a NASA mission and it's DART, D-A-R-T, for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. So as you can tell from the name, it, it's about asteroids. So uh, the DART mission, uh, this was, it's kind of a, a groundbreaking mission really. And uh, the whole point of the mission is to, or was to uh, actually uh, have an object or a probe smash into <laughs> an asteroid to see what happens, to see if we can change the course of an asteroid. And uh, the DART mission was successful in that, and it, it actually crashed a, a, a probe onto an asteroid just this Monday, or well, here in the UK it would have been just a little bit after midnight, about 14 minutes after midnight <laughs> to be exact, on the 27th of September. So what asteroids uh, are we talking about? Well, it's actually a really interesting binary system. So it's a, okay, so it's a primary uh, asteroid called Didymos, and it, it has a second uh, asteroid that sometimes we call it, let's say it's its moon, so it's an asteroid moon, and it's called Dimorphos. So the whole point of this mission was actually to smash that asteroid, uh, sorry, smash that probe into Dimorphos, the moon, to see if we can change its orbit. So even though it will be a slight change and we won't be able to see it for uh, a few weeks, I believe, um, if we can, uh, if we can see that uh, uh, the orbit of the moon has slightly changed, that means that we have actually changed uh, the path of an asteroid. And this, of course, is quite a useful thing to do. Uh, because potentially we could have asteroids uh, um, intersecting the Ooh. orbit of the Earth. Well, they do intersect the orbit of the Earth, but potentially crashing into the Earth. We don't really want that to happen. No, it's and not <laughs> ideal. Yeah. It's not ideal. Um, and so it, what this mission, this mission is groundbreaking because it's the first time ever that we've been able to do this. Um, and uh, potentially, um, we did see it, if you can do look up the video because it's actually quite uh, cool, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, it is very cool to see this, uh, this camera for, uh, on the probe just getting closer and closer and closer to the moon and then eventually uh, smashing into uh, this asteroid moon. 
And so uh, hopefully, well, that was successful. And uh, now they will have uh, sort of another um, probe, really. That will be monitoring this, the crater that was left uh, behind by the, by the probe smashing Ooh. against the moon. And, uh, and yeah, it will take pictures of uh, what happens. And we will be able to also measure if it has changed its uh, orbit. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, when I first heard about the mission and all of the crashing and smashing, which is fun, <laughs> all of that talk around it, I assumed it was actually going to break the asteroid mm. moon up, like destroy it, mm -hmm. which upset me a little bit because mm -hmm. I often talk about Dimorphos and mm -hmm. Didymos, <laughs> Didymos and Dimorphos, or Didymos and Diddy Moon, yes, which is the yes, funner way yes. of saying it. Um, but you're saying there'll be a crater, but really the moon is the same it's as okay. it always was. It's okay. okay. I mean, it, it is really interesting because uh, from well, other telescopes, uh, well, or telescopes actually were pointed at the moons at the binary system. Uh, and so they have recorded uh, stuff, really, <laughs> flying into space after the crash. And actually, uh, uh, when looking at uh, the two, at the asteroid and its moon, um, the moon, for well, what we can see is the moon actually became much brighter just during that crash, basically. Uh, I mean, just a lot of energy being released uh, there uh, during the crash. Uh, than its parents, basically. That's but it so is, cool. it is. I mean, it is super cool. It's, it's not just that we're smashing stuff, but it's not just that we're, um, we're, we're, we're actually, we've designed a, a, a mission that can do something so accurately. I believe, uh, I might be mistaken, but I believe that uh, the mission control said that the probe actually it was really, really, really close to the point that they had de designated. It was only 17 meters away from the, the bullseye, basically. So, wow. I mean, it's amazing how uh, accurate it has become. Amazing. And the fact that we can actually see it <laughs> live-streamed. Because <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the probe was moving incredibly fast, mm -hmm. right? It yes. didn't approach slowly. Yes, it was moving very fast. Uh, and I believe it was moving at about 6.4 kilometers per second, is that right? So it was moving at 6.4 kilometers a second and the, the moon it crashed into is not particularly wide, this asteroid moon. The Morphus is not uh, very large, just 160 meters. So compared to its parent uh, asteroid, uh, which is almost 800 meters wide, uh, that doesn't seem like a lot, but actually a lot of the asteroids uh, that could cause significant damage to the Earth, not global damage, but significant damage are more or less the size of Dimorphos. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is, it is, well, it's very useful if yeah, we relevant. can actually, if we can actually do something about it. Um, so it, it was really a, a historical mission. I think it's, it might have caught people's attention because it's fun to crash <laughs> to crash a probe into a moon. I've seen a lot of uh, memes about Revenge of the Dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, yes. yes, it's also yes. incredible a scientific achievement. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I really I can't believe how beautiful because they are beautiful. I mean, that's rock. Okay, asteroids look like space potatoes, uh, <laughs> and as you get closer and closer from the probe's perspective, from the probe's camera, you could see that 
kind of like irregular shape. That's why I always say that they remind us of space potatoes. Um, but then as it gets closer and closer, you can actually see the surface. You can see all the detail of all those rocks on the surface. I think that is beautiful. Uh, and it's just amazing how we can actually see this now. Yeah, and we can interact with, yeah. with asteroids. Yes, exactly. We can change them. Exactly. So I know that um, a little a little CubeSat, a little mini satellite, mm -hmm. popped out of the spacecraft, popped That's out right. of DART, just about a week or so before it hit, mm -hmm. and that satellite recorded the hit. Mm -hmm. And you said there was another follow-up probe? Yes, the satellite, so the uh, Lycia Cube, I think that's uh, that's for light Italian CubeSat for imaging asteroids. That's the probe that was launched to monitor the uh, impact and also take pictures uh, of the crater that was formed by the probe smashing into the asteroid. Um, but there will be another uh, probe that will be looking uh, or monitoring long-term effects and that probe will be called HERA and it will be launched in 2024 by ESA, the cool. European Space Agency. I love how the acronyms work in, <laughs> in space missions, right? People try so hard to make things catchy. So yeah, the Lycia <laughs> yeah. Cube, the Light Italian CubeSat for imaging asteroids. Yeah. Um, I know it has two cameras, Luke yes. and Leia. <laughs> um, <laughs> The Lycia Cube Unit Key Explorer and the Lycia Cube Explorer Imaging for Asteroid. I quite like the origin of the name Dimorphos, of the name of the asteroid that yes. has been crashed into. Yes, it's very interesting. Actually, Dimorphos, uh, uh, the, the moon, was actually uh, discovered after Didymos. And uh, Didymos was discovered actually on my birthday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's nice. A long time ago. Um, and uh, when, uh, I think after the sort of the binary or the, the second, well, the moon asteroid was discovered, then they gave, the, uh, they named it the twin, which is what uh, Didymos means. And then uh, the Morphus, means actually having two forms, the morphous, and that's from Greek, and it's, they named it that once they'd planned to hit something yes, into exactly. it. exactly. So two <laughs> forms, two <laughs> non-cratered form and a cratered form. <laughs> the form that we didn't uh, smash into or destroy, <laughs> and so pre-destruction and after the no, I'm joking. Before human intervention and after human intervention, let's put it that way, which yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And if we crash something else into it, we could call it trimorphous. Tri <laughs> <laughs> and this can just keep going and go tetramorphous, but and so on. I'm not sure that's as catchy as the Morphus. That's true. The Morphus is probably the best one. We can stop yeah. it too, and we can look at some other asteroids. Which we do, actually. Uh, we have been doing. Not well, actually, in a way, yes, we have crashed also projectiles into other asteroids. Yes, you're right, and that's what I wanted to talk about next. Oh, yay. What a lovely segue. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we could have a like asteroid theme for, mm, for the podcast. So sure. we started with the DART mission and mm -hmm. its historic impact and, and all of that. And then I wanted to do a little throwback to a slightly earlier asteroid mission, mm -hmm. um, asteroid sort of discovery mission. Mm -hmm wasn't really discovering it, an asteroid 
an asteroid visit, visit uh, yeah. mission or mm -hmm. an asteroid mission, yeah. This is a story about the asteroid Ryugu and the Hayabusa 2 spacecraft. Mm -hmm. And so this was quite a while back. So the Hayabusa 2 spacecraft launched in 2014. In 2018, it arrived at the asteroid. Mm -hmm. The aim of this mission was a bit different to, mm -hmm. to DART, so it didn't crash into it on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, instead, it wanted to study the asteroid to learn more about its like mm -hmm. origins and evolution, its form mm -hmm. and all of that. Uh, but it did something very exciting, something that had been done before, but is still fairly groundbreaking, if yeah. we're going to use the word groundbreaking yeah, some yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like you said, it, it shot a pellet, mm -hmm. a, a bullet effectively, it called it a kinetic yeah. projectile, mm -hmm. but it was a bullet. It shot at the asteroid, yeah. and then it went and scooped up some of the material yeah. that it had disturbed from the surface, and then that sample returned to the Earth. Yeah, and uh, I think they took two samples, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, first, of the material that was that was dislodged by, by the projectile, and then they also uh, took a sample of, of material in the crater, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that material returned to Earth mm -hmm. in 2020, in December mm -hmm. 2020. And in August 2022, so fairly recently, um, a study has been published about what they found from those samples, mm, yes. about the material yes, yes. they got back to the Earth. Yes. That, and. It, it is groundbreaking. It is another sort of uh, groundbreaking mission with groundbreaking results as well. I think it's fair to say that any sort of uh, sample return mission uh, is very exciting because you can learn loads, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. um, asteroids in particular, it's something, it, it is new. Um, there's another mission, we can talk about that a little bit later on that is also a sample return mission but um this uh the hayabusa 2 mission uh, that is run by the japanese uh, space agency so actually japanese aerospace exploration agency and that's jaxa um it's the results that we got from that asteroid because uh, they managed to get material from inside the asteroid uh, from within the asteroid. So that's basically material that was never exposed to any other elements. I mean, through the atmosphere, for example, we do have sometimes, uh, not sometimes, all the time really, space rock that uh, comes uh, from asteroids and comets and so on. But all that, those uh, meteorites that we find on Earth, so space rock that we find on the surface of the Earth, that space rock that has actually passed through the atmosphere, it's been exposed to other things. And so, uh, it's very hard to really learn about the uh, original composition of those uh, space rocks. But if you do something like uh, this mission has done, if you if you uh, if you actually get or if you actually collect material from within the asteroid, you're getting pristine material, and that means that it hasn't been exposed to anything else, any radiation, anything, and so. This is the closest we've ever gotten, really, to the original material, uh, the original stuff that was found in the solar system when it was first forming. And that is why it's so groundbreaking. Because first, it's pristine material, and then the results that we've gotten from it are also groundbreaking because uh, scientists have actually found a, a little water droplet in oh. that material. So for a very long time, and I mean, it's still, of course, this is ongoing research. Uh, 
we are always asking uh, one of sort of the main questions I would say probably not just for astronomers for, but for everyone's where does life come from uh, why do we have water on earth why is the earth so different from all the other planets and all the other places in the solar system and uh, one of the theories is that water came to the earth through an asteroid collision so asteroids out in space brought water to the earth when it was uh, well shortly after it formed including and potentially they might have also brought uh, sort of organic compounds uh, to the earth and so that was always one of the theories it because it, it you know why not where does the water and where did life come from and uh, the results of this of this mission have actually shown uh, well at least this so far that from this paper that you've mentioned what they what is shown is that uh, there was a water droplet and there were organic compounds found uh, within the sample of uh, Ryugo so um, taken by Hayabusa 2 so that is groundbreaking because mm. it seems that we're closer to understanding where water might have uh, come from yeah which you're right is a big question yeah, it comes up quite often in our in our work when we're talking. In, definitely, when we're talking to uh, to students, for example, uh, uh, and even yeah, just anyone really, uh, when they come to our shows or they come to our workshops, one <laughs> one of the main questions that we get, or one of the very common question really, is uh, oh, is there life out there? Where did life come from? Why do we have water on Earth? Why don't we have water anywhere else? Mm. Why, why don't we have life anywhere else? Well, all questions that we don't really have an answer to. But that's why uh, studying asteroids, okay, they're just space rocks. <laughs> I like to call them <laughs> space potatoes, <laughs> as I said before. They're just space rock, but they're very interesting space rock. And they're very ancient space rock in the sense that they haven't really been exposed to all the elements like uh, rocks here on Earth. Yeah. I think we should mention that there's, so they found organic compounds mm -hmm. in this asteroid, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. Organic doesn't mean alive. No, no. That is a very important That would be even more exciting. <laughs> uh, I think everyone would have heard about mm -hmm. life being found in a square. It hasn't. <laughs> Let me just say that again. It hasn't. So organic compounds just means uh, that they have found uh, sort of the building blocks of life, but that doesn't mean that there's life there. Yeah. The same compounds that we are made of, but, mm -hmm. but the blocks rather than yes, the life exactly. itself. No cells. No cells, no, no. Now, because this spacecraft, Hayabusa 2, it didn't slam into the asteroid, which no. means it's still going. The samples mm -hmm. returned to the Earth, mm -hmm. but the spacecraft itself actually has some more targets. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. it has. Uh, because it has still some fuel left, and uh, because of that, the mission has been extended. So it will actually go and explore new targets. And I think the plan is to fly by another asteroid. And I will just have to read these out. Yeah, they're not catchy, are they? They're not catchy. <laughs> uh, this mission is actually going to continue. And uh, it's going to fly by two uh, different asteroids. And the first one will be 2001 CC21. Uh, July 2026, and then it will go on to fly by uh, 199-8KY26 in July uh, 2031. Wow. And so again, I think these will, uh, well, it will just be an opportunity to learn about uh, asteroids, more asteroids, and also different types of asteroids. I guess we didn't really talk about this because, um, but that is also something worth uh, mentioning, I think, that 
well, asteroids, we say space rock, that's very generalizing it, but there are different types of asteroids, or rather they're made of different things. So we have some asteroids, that are, uh, we call them carbonaceous asteroids, mainly made of carbon, rock and minerals. Then you have your metallic uh, um, asteroids, and then you have your ooh, silicate asteroids, basically. And silicate is just rock, so stony asteroids. And uh, Ryugu, it's a carbonaceous. It's chondrite. a carbonaceous, uh, yes, a carbonaceous uh, asteroid. So that's exciting. Mm. And it's actually, that connects me to something else. Oh, Can yes. I take it? Please go ahead. <laughs> uh, to that mission, um, to another mission that uh, is also a sample return mission. And I think this one was also quite popular in the sense, or was, there was a lot of media around it because it was a NASA mission. And it's called uh, OSIRIS-REx. And it's a mission to another asteroid called Bennu. And there were amazing pictures of Bennu when it was first released. And uh, Bennu is also a similar type of asteroid as Ryugu. And this, uh, actually, this sample return mission won't uh, return back to the Earth until September 2023. And it's really interesting because Osiris, uh, sorry, because NASA and JAXA are actually uh, exchanging samples. So, uh, they are both studying similar types of asteroids, and uh, these are also uh, near-Earth asteroids. And uh, they are going to, uh, JAXA is going to give, or has given actually already, NASA uh, a, a bit of their sample so that they can study, and then NASA is going to return the favor in a sense and exchange a bit of the sample from Bennu. And this just shows cooperation, collaboration <laughs> across the world. Uh, that is how oh. science, uh, can really evolve, really. When, uh, that is when a lovely works. fact. I didn't know that. Yeah, I like that yeah. sharing. I, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I didn't know that either <laughs> until I was looking into uh, a little bit into that mm. mission. I was just thinking when you were discussing the different types of asteroids, mm -hmm. and you can have metal asteroids, mm -hmm. iron-based asteroids. Uh, we have a piece of a of a metal asteroid, now mm -hmm. a metal meteorite, in the yes. foyer of of the planetarium. So mm -hmm. anyone who's been to see us before might have touched a piece of what yeah. is now a meteorite, what yeah. was once a much larger yes. asteroid out in yes. space. Um, R1, I think, is the opposite of a pristine sample, isn't no. it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's fallen to Earth. It's been touched by every human that's ever walked through Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> and before then, uh, yeah, the, that meteorite, it's a metallic meteorite, as I said, and I think it's a prehistoric meteorite, so it has been touched by lots of people. Um, but it is a nice thing to have. Is there anything else asteroid fiend that you've not mentioned so far that you'd like to mention in our asteroid month? Well, actually, yes, because um, I mean, just thinking about the kind of questions that we get, people always ask, what's the difference between an asteroid, a meteoroid, a meteorite, and a meteor? Because these are names that sometimes or terms are sometimes used interchangeably. Um, so, and there isn't really an absolute definition, but an asteroid is generally a larger uh, space rock. <laughs> and uh, meteoroids are generally smaller space rocks. So meteoroids can range uh, from about 30 micrometers, no, yes, about 30 micrometers oh, that's pretty small. Yeah, so, um, to about one meter 
in diameter. So that's their range. And asteroids would be anything bigger than a meter. And they can go up to uh, hundreds of kilometers. Actually, the biggest asteroid that is also a dwarf planet is uh, Ceres. And Ceres is about or almost a thousand kilometers across. So it's um, so that is sort of the definition. Then you have meteorites, meteorite-sized space rock that uh, smashed against the surface of the Earth, as in you actually have something left over from that space rock. And then meteors are we sometimes uh, uh, we know them as you know in the context of meteor showers, we know them in the context of shooting stars, not stars. Uh, falling on into the earth, but actually just space dust. Um, and so meteors are usually a smaller, actually just space dust or space rock that fall, uh, breaks apart uh, while they're uh, passing through the atmosphere and falling towards the earth. So they don't reach the earth. Okay, so asteroid, big space rock, meteoroid, small space rock, meteor, going through the atmosphere, meteorite, hitting the ground. And yeah, and I staying think, on the ground. Well, I think yes. that's yeah. I, yeah. I think that's yeah. That's more or less it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that roundup. I did want to tell you all that we did an episode on the James Webb Space Telescope's mm -hmm. first release of images. Those mm -hmm. five really, you know, mm -hmm. well looked mm -hmm. at, famous mm -hmm. images. Mm -hmm. It's still releasing images. So go and check out the newest releases from yes. James Webb if you haven't seen yes. them already. Do um, because, especially, I have to say that both Jupiter and Neptune's pictures that were just recently released are just breathtaking. I do keep saying breathtaking and amazing pictures of space. Because <laughs> <laughs> we both love pictures of space. Because we both love it. But it is, they are just really beautiful and they show the planets in a completely different light. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so our listeners should check those out if they haven't already. And we have to remind you all that when this podcast goes live at the start of the month, so at the start of October, uh, because autumn is here, we will have a poll on our Twitter account, at ROG Astronomers, and you can vote for your favourite cosmic news story. So whether it will be Dart's mission crashing into the asteroid, or the updates from Hayabusa, Hayabusa 2's mission to Ryugu. That's all from us, and remember to keep looking up. Thank you, everyone. Bye! <laughs>